Good morning. Buenos dias. Welcome to East Shore Unitarian Church in Bellevue. We are so glad that you have chosen to spend the next hour or so with us. We have a very, very special service with beautiful, reflective music this morning. We hope you enjoy this gathering. We want to give a special welcome to our children, excited toddlers, excited octogenarians, sleepy people who were here late last night. Thank you for being here. If you believe in the teachings of Jesus, Muhammad, Krishna, the Buddha, Alice Walker, Rachel Carson, Pima Chadran, welcome. Here we practice theological diversity. If you sing like the angels or Odetta or Beyonce or just hum to yourself quietly, welcome. Because here we believe that everyone can sing. A special welcome if you identify as transgender, queer, gender nonconforming, multicultural, immigrant, indigenous, some or all of the above, or consider yourself an ally or co-conspirator in our struggle to end systemic oppression. Welcome. You're in the right place. A special welcome to our tree huggers and water protectors. We have a vibrant ministry here to care for our earth. We hope you will join us. And another very special welcome if you find yourself with a heavy heart today. If something is weighing heavy on your mind, your spirit, thank you for trusting us to be here among this loving community. You are in the right place in this circle of love. May you find here room for your spirit. May you be nourished. And may you join us in creating reimagining and strengthening the beloved community of this, our spiritual home. One announcement before we begin is for you to stay after the service to participate in our second town hall to discuss the budget. You are all invited. It's important stuff, and we need your suggestions and input. Thank you for that. Even though Yom Kippur has already passed, we want to take this opportunity this morning to be inspired. And in the spirit of Yom Kippur, we offer this service. And we begin with the Kol Nidre, the prayer that opens the Yom Kippur service. Kol Nidre means all vows. It's an Aramaic declaration recited in the synagogue before the beginning of the evening service on every Yom Kippur. It's also a legal formula used for the annulment of vows. The prayer is recited in its entirety three times. The first time the cantor must utter it very softly, like one who hesitates to ask God for a gift. The second time they may speak somewhat louder, and then the third time louder still. 
as when approaching a friend asking for forgiveness. The wording of the prayer takes us back in history to 15th century Spain during the Inquisition, when Jews were forced to convert to Christianity or face death. But they converted in name only and found a way to practice Judaism in privacy at home and created Kol Nidre to nullify their vows of conversion before God. By setting it at the beginning of the first Yom Kippur service, Jews found a way to confront their worst sin imaginable and could then devote the rest of Yom Kippur to their other transgressions. The message of Kol Nidre carries a deep meaning. If we're truly seeking to change our behavior and be accountable in our communities, we must begin with how we speak and relate to each other. Do we engage in speaking of others in a derogatory way? Do we needlessly intensify discussions with inflammatory comments? Or do we take the opportunity to listen and to express our commitment to justice, right relationship, and building the beloved community? Yom Kippur offers us the opportunity to bear our souls, to face our own nakedness, to affirm that we want to return to our better selves. We are given an opportunity to atone, to repent, to ask and offer forgiveness, and to transform ourselves. This is the Kol Nidre prayer. Kol Nidre, all vows and things we have made forbidden on ourselves and oaths and items we have consecrated to the temple. Vows issued with the expression konum and vows which are abbreviated. Vows issued with the expression kanos that we have vowed and sworn and dedicated and made forbidden upon ourselves. From this Yom Kippur until the next Yom Kippur, may it come to us at a good time. We regret having made them. May they all be permitted forgiven, eradicated and nullified. May they not be valid or exist any longer. Our vow shall no longer be vows and our prohibitions shall no longer be prohibited, and our oaths are no longer oaths. Forgive the entire congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger among them, for the entire people sin unintentionally. Please pardon the sins of this nation in accordance with the greatness of your loving kindness. As you forgive, these people from when they left Egypt until now. And Adonai said, I have pardoned them as you have requested. Teshuvah, 
a return of what is lost, and a return to our best selves. As Unitarian Universalists, we draw inspiration from many sources. So if you open your gray hymnal inside, you can find that the living tradition we share comes from many sources affirmed in all cultures that moves us to renew our spirits. Words and deeds of prophetic women and men which challenge us to confront injustice with justice. Words and deeds of prophetic siblings in history to remain open to the transforming power of love. Our search for truth and meaning invites us to learn from the wisdom of the world's religions and is based on Jewish and Christian teachings, among others like earth center traditions and humanist teachings. They all call us to respond to love by loving our neighbors in return. We are grateful for this pluralism which enriches and ennobles us in our faith. Amen, baby. Amen. Yes. This morning we drink deeply from the well of Jewish wisdom. While we do not attempt to recreate an authentic Jewish Yom Kippur service, we offer just a glimpse into a tradition that offers us opportunities for repentance, for repair, a moment in time when we dedicate ourselves to reconciliation and when we recommit ourselves to transformation, to change, just as we do on New Year's Eve in January. This is the Jewish New Year, a return to what was lost, a return to our best selves, a time when we ask for forgiveness from those we have hurt and in turn forgive those who have caused us pain. We acknowledge our sins, the times when we have missed the mark, when we've made a mistake that has caused harm, whether intentionally or not. We are grateful for this inspiration, for Yom Kippur, and we humbly ask for forgiveness if in doing so, we, I, miss the mark. Yom Kippur is a ritual of atonement, and that is something that I'm familiar with. Growing up in the Catholic Church, I learned to pray the Our Father and to ask, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. During Mass, before communion, we also recited aloud in public, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned through my own fault, in my thoughts, in my words, in what I have done, and in what I have failed to do. There was something about reciting that in public, surrounded by family, friends, and neighbors who knew us, as well as strangers. It made it feel very serious and important. During the Yom Kippur service, the Avinu Malkeinu, which we just heard beautifully played by Kevin and Eric. The Avinu Malkeinu is a prayer sung to a loving parent, to a father asking for forgiveness. Avinu Malkenu, hear our voice. 
We have sinned against you. Have compassion on us. Make an end to sickness. Make an end to war and to famine. Make an end to all oppression. Inscribe us in the book of life. Let the new year be good to us. Fill our hands with blessings. Be gracious and answer us. For we have little merit. Treat us with kindness and be our help. Avinu Malkeinu. Avinu Malkeinu. Avinu Malkeinu. And for God to forgive us, it's not enough to ask God for forgiveness. First, we must seek out the people whom we have transgressed and ask directly for forgiveness. We humble ourselves, we acknowledge our humanity, and we ask for forgiveness to return to our best selves and to greet the new year, to make and create a new beginning. Shana Tova means a good year. Teshuva means to return to our best selves, return to love. We can find our way back. We get to write in the book of life every day with the choices that we make. I've been inspired by this book by Dania Rutenberg. It's Repentance and Repair, Making Amends in an Unapologetic World. And I will quote extensively from this book, Be Warned. She writes, The challenges surrounding apologies and forgiveness, repentance and reconciliation, amends and atonement invite a lot of questions. And they're neither simple nor theoretical. American society isn't very good at doing the work of repentance and repair. What are we asking the person who has done wrong? What work must they take on in order to repair, to whatever extent possible, the harm that was done? How should we regard them if they have caused harm and try to fix it? If they have not any words or deeds that would amend the injury. What are the roles of the victim and the perpetrator in this process? What, if any, is the role of those who were neither harmed or perpetrated the harm in all of this? There's still a lot of uncertainty in our social discourse on these matters, even more so when we're not talking about individuals perpetrating harm, but rather institutions, organizations, churches, and communities. It is here that the Jewish tradition can help us to navigate the everyday harms as well as the larger ones affecting entire communities. It is by no means a magical formula, but it does offer us a path towards repair and transformation. Yes, we have all suffered harm and we have all harmed another person. Sometimes the harm is intentional, 
full of anger. Sometimes it's the result of carelessness, ignorance, or fear. Sometimes it comes from our own broken places. We might have been able to heal, or perhaps we are still nursing the wound. Sometimes we have to face the fact that the damage is irreparable. The work of repentance is also the work of accountability and transformation. Before we can even think about forgiveness, we must engage in the work of repentance, including public confession of harm, making amends, and engaging with deep transformational work that results in real, lasting change. Rutenberg continues to say that in this society, the work of repentance is not supported by our individualism, which leaves people to tend to their own wounds, feeling alone, without support. She says, we lack a sense of collective responsibility, a communal ethos or process that might help hold victims' pain and urge the perpetrators to hold themselves accountable. The phrase, just let it go, can become an adaptive strategy in a culture that doesn't have any other meaningful mechanism to offer after a rupture of relationships or care. The work of repentance and accountability also necessitates a power analysis. When the harm is done by someone or by an organization or institution that is more powerful than that individual or that community that was harmed, denying intent serves only the interests of the most powerful party, thus allowing evasion of accountability and maintaining the status quo. Admitting culpability opens up the possibility for change and transformation. Conversely, if we focus only on the intent of the perpetrator and divert attention away from the actual injury and injustice, then we're just adding insult to injury. The needs of the injured party need to be met in a meaningful way. And I'm going to quote again from the book, The work of repentance demands curiosity, care, and a willingness to face hard things with bravery and honesty. While we can't undo the past, we can address the present with integrity and endeavor to create a future that is much more whole. Sometimes hard, it's hard to repair the harm, and sometimes the harm cannot be repaired. Regardless, in a moral universe, there is work to be done whenever harm is inflicted. The book talks about the laws of repentance. And the author says, you can't just go around hurting people and then just saying, I'm sorry, and expect forgiveness. You're not entitled to forgiveness until you do, until we do, until I do the work of repentance and repair. 
The harm we inflict on another human being doesn't disappear or is diminished just because we say it wasn't our intention to hurt them. We can't undo the harm, but we can take specific steps toward transforming ourselves and thus the experience of the harm itself. We get to write in the book of life with our behavior. Changing our behavior is so hard, isn't it? Admitting that we've made a mistake is hard and embarrassing, especially if we're doing it in public. To admit that we have hurt someone in public is scary. The Jewish tradition doesn't emphasize forgiveness, and the person harmed is not obligated to forgive. In Judaism, even if we are not forgiven, we are still obligated to do the work, to be accountable, and to transform in order to atone. Teshuva. We must return to our best selves. Teshuva is about coming back to where we are supposed to be, where we'd like to be, returning to the person we know we're capable of being. It's a return. It's a coming home, a return to love with humility, with intentionality. So in this book, I learned there are five steps of repentance. The first one is naming and owning the harm. Before we even understand what repentance is, we are instructed to name out loud the harm that we have caused. We're supposed to acknowledge that we feel ashamed by our actions and commit to not doing it again. The second one, starting to change. Only when the person does the work needed to become a different person can they make a different choice and be transformed. The work of transformation might include tearful grappling with one's behavior through prayer, meditation, or another spiritual practice. Putting ourselves in new situations to consciously avoid the opportunity to cause harm and perhaps to experience what it's like not to have control or power. Some place where one might get some practice in the virtue of humility. The process of change might involve actively seeking out fresh perspectives to help shape a new understanding of a complex situation. It might include requesting to spend time with the victim to better understand the nature of the impact and the problem that caused it. The goal isn't merely to make amends. The goal is transformation. Number three, restitution and accepting the consequences. The party that has caused harm must make restitution, excuse me, for that harm, understanding the gravity of the harm and humbly consulting with the person that was harmed about what would feel just. Restitution is not throwing money at a problem to make it go away. Apology. We implore 
we beg forgiveness. We focus on the mental and emotional state of the person that was harmed. Have they gotten what they needed emotionally and spiritually? Are they feeling cared for, attended to? Are they feeling better? Why not? An apology is not merely the words, I'm sorry. And it's certainly not, I'm sorry that you were hurt by this perfectly reasonable thing that I just did. A real apology is not aimed at the person who has been hurt, but rather is given in relationship with them. It requires understanding when approaching a victim might harm them further and navigating that with them with sensitivity. Number five. Making different choices. When faced with the opportunity to cause similar harm in the future, we must make different choices. We need to fully understand why the harm happened. Be open to seeing ourselves as we really are, the imperfect, beautiful human beings that we are. And understand the need of someone else. The pain of someone else. The author of the book says we can never undo what we have done. We can never go back in time. We write history with our decisions and our actions. But we also write history with our responses to those actions. We can leave the pain and the damage in our wake unattended or... We can do the work of acknowledging and fixing to whatever extent possible the harm that we have caused. Repentance, teshuva, it's like that Japanese art of kintsugi, repairing broken pottery with gold. You can never unbreak what you have broken. But with the sincere and deep work of transformation, acts of repair have the potential to make something or someone new again. Rabbi Naaman of Breslov taught that if you believe that you can damage, believe that you can fix. If you believe that you can harm, believe that you can heal. Now let us take a few minutes to reflect upon What needs repair in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our communities? Let us ask ourselves, who do I need to ask for forgiveness? So imagine yourself calling them or writing them a letter. Imagine yourself acknowledging that you did wrong. And imagine yourself asking for forgiveness. Just breathe into that vision. Maybe you're not ready to press send yet. That's okay. Sometimes it could take years or a lifetime. But the act of asking for forgiveness, even if only in your imagination for now, can be the beginning of something or someone new. Let us humble ourselves and recall those times when we lost our way, when we missed the mark. Let us recall the people we have hurt 
And let us make a New Year's resolution to ask for forgiveness. We have in our teal hymnal a litany of repentance. The refrain is, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. That's the only refrain you need to know. So if you don't want to hold the hymnal in your hand so that you can concentrate on the people that you need to bring to mind and heart, that's okay. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love.